0: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ
1: Hi, everybody. This is a Ruck special. No one like Barnsley or Lawrence cluttering up the studio today. It's just a one-on-one. Myself and someone described by Lawrence on the last podcast as the Harlequins and England legend. And actually, I think Lawrence hit the nail on the head there. Rachel Burford, welcome and congratulations on your new job. Perhaps you could start off by just explaining what it is and what it involves.
2: Great to be on the show and yeah, it looks like that payoff to Lawrence worked in the end. Um, Yeah, so I've been recently appointed with the International Rugby Players to be Head of Women's Rugby, uh, which basically kind of covers, you know, all player relations globally, looking at season structures, contractual matters, uh, working with high performance, including 15s and 7s. And, you know, we want to be assisting in growing and commercializing the game. So just a few things. But yeah, really exciting appointment. I've been working closely with the international rugby players for for a number of years now. Um, so it felt like a really good progression for me to go into a role to really dedicate time to it.
1: Does, does that actually uh, entail really creating new structures because it gradually, probably more slowly than it should, but international rugby is coming together and professional rugby is is sort of trickling in. But is it very much sort of going to be shaped how you want it to be shaped and in a sense making it up as you go along?
2: I think the the main bulk of it is making sure that players are involved in discussions and that they're you know, at the heart of what's going to be going moving forward. And, and our role there is to ensure that action happens. And we, you know, work with World Rugby very closely to enable what's going to happen next moving forward with with the women's game and how we can implement the best for that and not carbon copying what's gone before in the men's, like really focusing on what is right for that the play, player group and um, for the women's game as a whole.
1: Do you think that uh, what you said then? I just think is so significant because over the years when I've been covering women's rugby, I've always thought, well, there's so much, there's so much talent there, and so much sort of uh, mental freshness. That why should it be that every model that's set up by the men is followed by the women? I mean, even even if there's some law that someone thinks. I mean, I know you probably don't agree with this, but. If there's some law people think that suits women's rugby better, why doesn't that come in? But at least things, things don't have to be done exactly as they've been done since 1871.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, pre, like if we look back over history, we've probably just followed suit because they're more experienced, they've been there, they've done that and we've, at the time would have thought that that was the right route to go. And I think we are now being way more proactive about what is right for the women's game whatever area of the country that is and and focusing more on that and what we can get the best out of the women's environment. You have to look at the fact that we aren't a professional outfit across the board where, so why would we then follow suit, which men's have been professional now for over 20 years. We can't Mm. follow what they do because we're not in the same um, situation. So yeah, I think that's probably where we've been. But now we're certainly looking more at, you know, how to be proactive and really focusing on what's going to work for the players involved and all the stakeholders to get the best out of it.
1: There are a thousand and one issues in in the game at the moment for women, men and women, but uh, especially for women, there's just so much happening. Covid's obviously been a pain in the backside, but... Let's just talk a uh, 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 Premier 15 for a little while because uh, we had Sarah Antron not so long ago and I, I just think that it's it's going up on geomet- geometric progressions. Some of the games I've seen this year would be the standard of, like three standards above w- when it started. Premier 15 for you, has it done the job that it was created for? And am I right in thinking that there's just a whole torrent of players coming through now?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, we're really starting to see, you know, we're into the fourth year of the beginning of, of the new league. And I think you're really starting to see the fruits of all of that labor over the first two, two three years. And, and we could probably be very honest and say Harlequins and Saracens have only really been the two teams that will be in a final and come down to to the final um, wire. Whereas now it, it is not the case and it is, you know, it's a platform for young girls now who look at the league. I remember when I was growing up, I, I never looked at club rugby and thought, wow, I want to be involved in that or that's amazing. You know, I just played at my local rugby club because that's all I knew. Whereas we've got young fans now across all of the 10 teams that want to go and play for Loughborough Lightning or Exeter Chief or Harlequins and, I think that's a massive thing that it's done. Maybe wasn't even intended to do that, but it's certainly done that. And I think, you know, the amount of people that want to play in this league, not just English players, we've got Irish, Scottish, Welsh, we've got overseas internationals coming over, getting in touch because because of the standard of it. And I think all the investment that's gone into those first three years, you know, implementing all the foundations from Having coaching staff, medical, S and C, you know, all of those areas which are a professional setting it doesn't mean the players are fully professional, but giving those foundations allows players to really excel, and I think we're starting to see that certainly shine in the in the Alliance Premier Fifteens now.
1: And and also um, uh, social media and streaming et cetera, has just been taken uh, taken it to a new level much more than it ever did in the, in the men's game. I mean, have you ever seen anything like the Bristol prop? Is it Simi who scored? Uh, you know, ran ninety yards to score. Everybody's thinking, "God, that winger's quick." Think, oh, no, she's, a, she's a prop.
2: Yeah, so I think everybody was pretty amazed by Simi's breakaway try down the edge, you know, a, a front rower doing that sort of thing is is actually no surprise in, in our league. The athleticism of all players across the league has been unbelievable. Even to look at Harlequins, the likes to Shauna Brown, Amy Cocaine, could easily play in the back row and and arguably Amy Cocaine probably want to try and play in the backs as well, the way she plays. But I think you're just seeing the increased competitiveness across the entire league. And that's why we're seeing more and more clubs wanting to showcase their teams because of the talent on the field and the product that is there that's why we're seeing these teams all doing their own live stream because they want to put that product out there and they can see and understand the investment into the game what it can bring back to them.
1: The um, You mentioned that, that it's no longer just a, a, a kind of Quinn's um, Saracens loving at the, at the top I think we saw that on the weekend didn't we when um, Wasps who've been going like a bomb in a fantastic game but beaten by actually the Chiefs and now that fourth place is kind of uh, that looks so guaranteed is now in doubt.
2: Yeah, and I think that's what makes the league really exciting. You look at Wasps, they beat, they went away, they They've run really close games. They beat Saracens. Then they narrowly lost to Harlequins. And then they narrowly lost to Exeter Chiefs. So that race for top four is what gets people, what gets the audience in. It's what gets them hooked. And, you know, it's really, really exciting. And the fact that Exeter are a brand new team into the league this year and the way they've come on has been absolutely outstanding from the work that Susie appleby has been doing down there and her recruitment. But that's where that kind of investment comes in, you know, Exeter have made a commitment to invest into that programme and it's paying absolute dividends for them
1: sure and uh, for those of you who watched the game once on uh, on, on the weekend uh, was crossed the line uh, it, with the clock dying and uh, for the tribe which would have put them uh, given them the game and one fantastic tackle knocked the ball loose so that is how that that is how dramatic it was How has it been in coping with COVID? Does it take some getting used to with with the redrawn laws?
2: Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, COVID's hit everybody, hasn't it? And the the law changes to allow us to be able to play is obviously welcomed so we can actually get out there and play. But, Mm. yeah, look, it's not too difficult to adjust because, you know, any knock-on or four-pass becomes a, a free kick. So... But it's more the fact that you don't get that opportunity to scrum down, pack, repack. You know how much goes into those scrums and how, you know, rivalries and and particularly at Harlequins, we have such a dominant pack. You use that as a weapon in your in your game.
1: Mm-hmm. So
2: for us to not have that and to have the X-Factor backline, we have that, that opportunity to reset and go backline, be backline where you've got all your forwards off their feet, um, is really missed. So, yeah, I don't think many of us want them to stay, that's for sure, but understand why they're in, in, the, in the game.
1: Do you feel that you've got a fair, a fair chance? Um, I mean, I know you've been injured the last few weeks, but a fair chance because so many resources were expanded, were, were, were given to the men's game to try and get these games on. It was almost like you had to go away and do your testing on your own sort of thing.
2: I think we, we've got ourselves, we, we trained and came back into a rugby environment, you know, doing all the sim, the stages that kind of community rugby's were doing, you know, stage one, stage two, ensuring everything that we could. And then, you know, when, as soon as it was kind of right, when the virus was progressively getting worse and we were still out there training playing it was questioned that we needed to be tested and and the RFU stepped up and brought those resources in maybe it should have been earlier maybe not but the, the point is is that it's now it's in place and you know it. and I, I have to be honest like before testing came in i did feel that we were in a safe environment you know, All the the strict measures that were put in place were so well done by, you know, and I speak for Harlequins mainly, but I know that across the board the the minimum standards were there. So to have the RFU step in and provide those resources now, it it is really important and we're pleased to be in that position now.
1: What were your thoughts when, uh, I mean, you're a World Cup uh, winner uh, and you understand the aspirations of people preparing for a World Cup. What were your thoughts when the World Cup was put back a year
2: Oh, like, really, like, it's devastating. Having been there, you know, from 2017, any player that was involved then and any player that was kind of on the fringes or wanting to break into the England mould will be thinking about this World Cup and all their actions will be geared towards that. And it's just, it's really disappointing, that you know, players are desperate to play. And the thing is that so much more sacrifice has probably gone in this year because of COVID, because people have had to go into bubbles and they've had to relocate and, you know, Things literally can change at any moment, any second. And for that to, to be taken away is obviously it's, it's hugely disappointing. You can, you can look at all the reasons to why and you can get your head around and understand why. But it doesn't stop the disappointment that will be there. And, and look, there's players that were ready to move on after the World Cup, that now, you know, can their bodies and can physically, mentally, emotionally, financially, can they do another year? That's that's the worrying part about some of our players that may not be in a position that they can continue.
1: Sure, sure. You really, really hope that everyone can get through sure. if they were going to retire at the end of this World Cup. But uh, you only managed four World Cups, is that right?
2: Only, yeah, yeah, yeah. You
1: only, <laughs> you only managed to play in four World Cups, but every World Cup is not so much just a an improvement, it always seemed to go up as a quantum leap. Did you feel that 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 is what was going to happen in New Zealand this year?
2: Yeah, I mean, in, in the four World Cups just to give you a bit of background like tw- 2006 when I went to that World Cup I literally don't think anybody knew that that was on like the crowds were just kind of like our family and friends that had traveled and then you fast forward to 2010 and selling out venues and just really kicking it off 2014 again exploded over in France and naturally here in the UK because we won it and then 2017 again it's like record numbers record attendances and and so to then go to a nation for the first time and to, we all know what New Zealand is like as a rugby nation. So that was going to be a huge boost and excitement for for the tournament. Just the sheer fact that anywhere you go in New Zealand, people know about the game. And so the support um, would have been unbelievable. And yeah, so it is. A, it's a shame that it's not happening this year, but then does that actually... Does it make it better that it's a year later that allows, you know, hopefully borders will be open, people can go and watch, the exposure and the build-up and the momentum can be what it should have been um, leading into this World Cup?
1: As far as England go, we just said that there's a a huge new tranche of players coming through. There were times, for instance, when you won the tournament where your team was pretty much grooved in. But now you're thinking every week you see someone in the Premier Fifteens and think, blimey, who, you know, where does she come from? I mean, do you think it's a difficult selection mix now?
2: Again, it just highlights how good the league is that people aren't it's not from previous, it's actually you're picking people on form and you're seeing people in a in a talk in a domestic league. That's how Shorter Brown got picked up. Mm. You know, the England coaches saw her playing. So so I think it's a great place to be in, to have so much great talent. I think what we haven't seen for a number of years, especially with like when I'm I was part of the squad and that era of playing squad we kind of grew up together we've always gone through and there's never been that next group of crop coming through and we're seeing that now and yeah I think you want to have that headache as a coach you want to have all this young brilliant talent um but, you know, when you're going, leading into a tournament, you do want to get some, you know, security, you know, familiarity with the players that you're playing around. So I think if anything, you know, the team will be, the coaching staff will be looking at different variations and looking at combos and different players. And, and as we normally see going in, leading into the World Cup, you get this kind of solid team of, you know, your first 15 in and about with maybe a few changes But it's definitely, it's better having it that way around than, you know, only having one or two people to pick from and then relying on them, you know, which England have done for a number of years on certain individuals.
0: Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be.
1: Tell us about Girls Rugby Club because that seems to be have created a massive a massive stir. Tell us about the concept.
2: Well, the Girls Rugby Club is kind of it was on the back of the Bedford Academy where I used to run um, girls' days, girls-only uh, rugby camps, and it's kind of evolved to more than that because that was kind of just me doing it, and it was just never going to go anywhere else so in October last year we created the girls rugby club which is essentially it's trying to create more opportunities at all levels so playing training education and really want to help provide pathways for young girls into the game or who are in it to then go on to the next steps and there's some great work and some places you don't need to go anywhere because they've got all the right pathways but there's a lot of places that have got gaps missing so it's trying to fill gaps for seven all the way through to 17 year olds and the other side of it is around, you know, creating a platform where we're knowledgeable and we've got resources and um, information that's really female-specific. You know, all my professional career, so much of it has been based on. Again, we've touched on this about what the men did. Well, the men have this many scoops of protein powder after game, oh, right? So, so with female, so we're really trying to educate around what's needed for the female body and have that kind of hub be that women and girls rugby club hub where if you need a resource of information or understanding of something, then we can be that area and that education platform. And what we kicked off with was, you know, we all talk about what's what's first for, for our players and it's player safety and player welfare. So we've kicked off this player welfare campaign, which is diving into the areas, you know, around menstrual cycle for women, around concussion with women. Is it different? How is it different? You know, looking Deeply into the things around, you know, what affect women, as opposed to the research that is out there, isn't specific enough. So we're diving into all of that as well, and it's the response has been really, really overwhelming. I think there's, and and this is the beauty of the Girls Rugby Club. This isn't me; it is all of us, and it's about us all collectively getting together and getting our heads together to create a better, more opportunities for young girls and women within the game. And you know, we've got an Really, really impressive advisory board where we get information from them, we run ideas past them, we want them to come to us with, you know, thoughts and and things that are missing that we're not seeing. And we've just got such an array of people on that board across the world as well. This isn't a UK thing, it's very much... A global thing so there's lots going on and it's really exciting and you know we're, we're in some really good discussions with national government bodies and sponsors to come on board and support what we're trying to do but yeah it's very much a collective thing that you know how it is if if I try and do it alone it will go so far and it'll go at a certain pace but if we all do something together it can go a lot faster
1: and you've got so much spare time as well to do it. In.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: that's right. <laughs> the, uh, I have to say, I don't know whether I should put a personal note in, but um, we're trying to create at Maidenhead two teams, under thirteen, and under 17s. And the first thing I learned was that there's absolutely no way that it can be done by older male coaches. It's going to be done by women coaches and, and women in charge of the, the girls' welfare and all that. That was the first first thing we found. So, um Girls Rugby Club is going to be our definitely our first port of call. I'd just like to ask you, Rachel, where are we with sport and, and also society? In terms of the women's game, numbers are, are still rising. It is so exciting that the vibrancy and, uh, and you know, these kids that come in, you think, oh, blimey, are they going to be okay with contact? And then suddenly, you know, they start tackling it in people and they, they absolutely love it and they miss it. Gradually, I think probably too slowly, the coverage is increasing. Um, women are actually making their own way in rugby. They don't have to make wait for men to tell them what to do anymore. They, is it time now? And do, do women feel confident enough in positions of power and authority, especially when there are still men around, to plough their own furrow and to, and to take the game where they think it should go?
2: Yeah, let personally, um, I think that we've got some brilliant appointments across boards, unions, clubs, and I think it's not necessarily about women you know, finding a voice. I think we've got a voice and it's more about people actually listening and hearing and, it, you know, where there's challenges that may come in or thoughts or ideas around the game to really listen and take that into account before thinking, oh, that won't work. It's like, actually, let's look at things from a different point of view. So I think that we've got so many great women now involved in the game who are, who are part of paving the way moving forward. I think it's more about we, we need to listen more to those people um, because, as you say, we are, we're the fastest part of the sport that's growing. And, you know, if we can get that side of things right, then that's naturally going to grow all the game. It's not just going to grow one part of the game.
1: The things that are associated with the male, with the male game, surely that, 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 that there should be new thinking in terms of not only social media but commercial marketing, sponsorship, television coverage and all that
2: why shouldn't we why shouldn't we go you know what well, this is blank let's look at it from this point of view and and just try and test different areas I think you look at the Six Nations this year where we've been kind of forced into this new window to play in which has been kind of spoken about you know should we move it should we be away from it but it's just a great opportunity to do something different and then see how it works and you know, this this isn't just at the top, but also, you know, look at Harlequins when we had the big game at Twickenham, you know, doing things slightly differently to, to get a different audience, to get a different response or to get the same response, but um, directly for the women's game. So I think, you know, having doing things differently allows opportunity for so much more. You know, if we look at again the Six Nations, if we if we're playing at the same time as men, that's a lot of rugby to try and fit in over one weekend, men and women's, the the media coverage, the broadcasting, the, the timings of games, you know the Six Nations fantasy league, you know that's going to get swamped at the moment where we are by, by for the men's game. Like so, it just allows to separate that and give real clear an opportunity for the women's game in a different area in a different light. Um, yeah, I, I absolutely believe that doing things slightly differently or at least going, right, what's worked for the men? Why has that worked? And actually understand why that worked. Yeah. And if it doesn't then cross over, then, right, okay, we might have to change that. It's not about saying that we can't learn anything or nothing should come from the men's game because, you know, there's been brilliant work and there's lots, so much we can learn from, but it's also about just tailoring it as well.
1: You just mentioned the Six Nations there, which has been put back. So by accident, you, you're no longer involved day by day with, with the men's Six Nations. Surely that's the way forward anyway, though, even after COVID. I mean, when you when you can take a game to, say, Exeter and you sell out or anywhere else who, who thinks they can sell out. OK, it's nice to play at Twickenham, but Twickenham at... 8pm on a dark December day, surely there's a way for the Six Nations to really, really burst out now.
2: Yeah, personally, I think it, the window should change. So it should stay like this. I, I would love, I would want the old format to come back because obviously we're, we're it's a condensed format, less fixtures. But I, I think, yeah, it's such a good opportunity that, allows it to stand alone and allows it to be in its own light and not to say that it's been in the shadows of the men but it just gets overcast because the game the women's game is not there yet where we've got all the spectators and we've got all the viewers and we need to build to that to get our own to grow our audience even bigger so I think it's a no-brainer for me that to not have it at the same time like I'm a massive rugby fan I love it I play it but I can't watch like Nine games in one weekend. I can't get through it. I want to watch the men's and I want to watch the women's, and and vice versa for the for the female England players. They want to watch their male counterparts and watch them yeah. play. And so, like you know, all of those kind of things is is really important. And you know, so many clubs women's clubs and things they all play at the weekends or that's all during county games or you know so we, we lose all of them being able to come to our games as well so I think it's a real opportunity I think that you know even kind of the Six Nations Fantasy League that everybody takes part in what a way to really engage with all the teams follow players and like those kind of things really do make a difference and how you could look at doing things slightly differently to get more viewers and get more interaction from fans yes yeah, so I definitely think that's the way forward I think I think it can work it can work in some areas but it's just dependent on kind of I talked about the Harlequins the big game that the men have historically had over the past however many years and now we're a part of that and you know that's a magnificent family club day so like there's times when it does really work and Mm -hmm. but I think always trying to look at things differently how we can engage more people and I think again we had the game changer a couple of years ago where we got multiple different sports coming down it was more of a celebration of women in sport and you know we, we put it out there to go after a record attendance and you put something like that out there you you get a tribe or a community that buy into that as well and then suddenly we hit a record for a domestic game and that was even during the Six Nations so yeah, really? you know knowing that we've got lots of people watching that and also part of it so I think it's a bit of both isn't it it's that. We want to be standalone and do things, but we want to also take what was good and what was worth into that. It's got to be like a case by case.
1: Are we now beyond the stage where aspiring women have to negotiate a wall of, um, of social abuse, et cetera? There was a, re- a case recently when one of, one of our colleagues, Sonia McLaughlin, was, was, got abuse, I think m- mainly because she was a woman, not because she did anything wrong
2: the social media side of things at the moment is getting out of control yeah. and I think it, it's just not good enough and I think more pressure needs to be put on these platforms from yeah. national governing bodies you know we're getting players who are coming off it because you know it, it's making them depressed or whatever and and you know the, the treatment that Sonia got was just totally unacceptable and I, I'm a believer that Everybody deserves to be criticised, but you, there's a complete way of doing it. There's a right manner and respect, and we have to also respect opinions. But when it's kind of just based on sex, it's just – it's outrageous, and it's there's no place for it. Um, so I think, yeah, there's there's so much that needs to be put on, on them. But I think if we go back to right at the, like, initial point of all of this, what is going to make – that more of a, an environment which is normal. How do we normalize women in sport and in the game of rugby? Well, it starts as a young boy who's got young girls playing alongside him, and that's normal. You see, you know, you go in your clubhouse, and the men's Six Nations are on, and you're watching them, and then all of a sudden the women's Six Nations are on it, and it just becomes normal. So then, the, the generation growing up, you know, it's normal that there's female pres- presenters and there's female commentators, and you know, journalism. So it's it's going to take time to shift that, of course. But I think it, there's so many facets that play a part in order to get society to a point where it's like, and I remember um, it was Ian Wright that said this. He said, because obviously this isn't a rugby issue, this is a sporting issue. Sure. And he said, you know, in football, he said, men, there's a lot of men out there that think they own the game and that their opinion and how they they see the game and what they believe is right. And sometimes that is just never going to change. But what can change is the impact of our generation that's growing up. So, you know, all of our young rugby clubs, having women coaches, having people in place that, you know, that run the clubs or directors of rugby, having both games on the TV. You know, I was at a club not so long ago, like before COVID, and the Women's Six Nations on, literally they shut the bar 10 minutes before the game was going to kick off. They just did a girls' event outside, and I'm like, what, why are you not like this is going to profit your club so if you know thinking about all those side of things so I think the more we can normalize it it's not going to be a quick fix for currently the women who are in it now at, and like paving the way for everybody but you know I think society has a big big responsibility to make sure that we're normalizing it on all different levels so that you know in five years time ten years time there's no question. And I saw somebody tweet yesterday around, because BT Sport did a big production with Maggie Alphonsey and Emily Scarrett on, and somebody pointed out, oh, brilliant to see women on there. And somebody replied saying, I don't know why you pointed that out. I didn't even notice that.
1: No, and that's, sure.
2: where we, that's where we need to get to, is that the gender part is removed.
1: Sure, sure, sure. Final question. You, you, you've been at four World Cups. You've been a driving force and, and messianic about, about your sport. As of other people, you know, you meet so many people, but probably no one quite as driven as you. We, we're now at a stage where the game and everything is totally different to what it was. Things have come on. You're getting certain recon- amount of recognition, certain amount of professionalism, certain amount of coverage. Are you still driven to think? Actually, we may have got here, but there's still so long, so long to go, so far to go.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. I think I think the game is in a good place. But there is so much more that needs to be done. I think Bar, New Zealand, France and probably England are the exception to in terms of the amount of investment that goes into, you know, not just their international level, but also their domestic. Because that's that's the nuts of it. That's what's going to increase the level of international players. And so I think there's a lot of a lot of countries that still need to really catch up. So there's still a lot more to be done there. And in terms of, you know, we need to make sure that we keep this momentum. We've got the game into a really good position, you know, contracts that are happening here in the UK and, and a few other places in, in the world. But we need to make sure that investment doesn't come to a halt now because of the announcement of the Rugby World Cup. So we need to make sure that we keep being proactive. And we, we've talked so, so much about it on, on this pod, about keep looking at what is right for the game keep looking at what what we're doing to make sure that we've got more young girls wanting to come into the game, that we've got more sponsors wanting to look in, we've got broadcasters fighting over it. You know, they're all the things that we need to continue to keep looking at and not just sit still and think, you know what, we're in a pretty good place, we've hit these record numbers or, you know, we've got this amount of teams qualifying, we've got X amount of players are playing around the world, we're in a really good place. And I, I think that most people that are involved don't want to sit still, they want to keep pushing forward.
1: We've just been talking for the last half an hour or so to one of the greats, as Lawrence said, one of the legends of the of the women's game. So, um, Rachel, we wish you well in physio, but also with Girls Rugby Club and with your new post with the IRPA. And hopefully we'll come back and uh, you can come back and tell us all about it. Your first year may be in your new job and uh, all you need is about 48 hours in the day and you'll be perfect. <laughs>
2: Operating about four hours sleep does you good. Apparently, okay. so. <laughs> no, thank you so much for having me on and, and for promoting the game. It's, you know, it's everybody's playing a real big part in it. So, really appreciate it.
1: That was the wrap with Rachel Burford and myself, Stephen Jones, at Times and Sunday Times, and we'll be back next Monday.